Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sardis was an inland city, about 50 or 60 miles east of Smyrna. Like all the cities mentioned in the opening chapters of Revelation, it was a significant city, and this one had a particularly long history. Herodotus dated its founding to 1220 BC. An earthquake had severely damaged the city in the years before Jesus' public ministry began, but with a massive building project by the Romans, it remained an important city for several more centuries. Once again, Jesus introduces himself to the city with a descriptor from chapters 1. This time, he calls himself the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. If we go back to chapter 1, we'll recall that the seven stars represented the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and that those seven serve as a representative sample of all the churches on earth. The seven spirits, we said, were probably the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit, who empowers the churches. That Jesus has the Holy Spirit and holds the churches in his hand reminds us that he alone is the Lord of his churches, and in his hand are their life and death. It's an ominous image, and we're not left wondering why for very long. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That is quite an accusation. Imagine this. People, whether Christians or non-Christians, it doesn't say, had the impression that the church in Sardis was alive. It was the real deal. Many commentators note that the church's reputation was much like the city's reputation, a long, exciting history and importance. But the city's past reputation was belied by major catastrophes, including the earthquake I previously mentioned, which Pliny the Elder called the greatest earthquake in human memory. They were living off a past rap. It's a scary thought that many of our churches that we look out and, and we say, wow, they're so alive, might actually be dead. But that was the verdict of Jesus. So he gives a strong, direct command. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Although the command is harsh, there's a little hope in it. Perhaps the original pronouncement of death was a bit hyperbole. There's still something that can be saved. The church is merely about to die. Why exactly? Because I have not found your works complete. And we see this constant theme in Revelation that the work in question is it's not good deeds or charity or giving, but witness. It's boldly standing up to share the good news about King Jesus in the face of culture's opposition. 
It's understandable on a human level why churches fail to do this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, wrote the Apostle Paul. Our gospel, our good news, is foolishness in the eyes of the world. More than that, it's offensive. And to proclaim it boldly will likely cost, at a minimum, some level of social capital. And in many places, at many times, it costs much more. So it is easier to elide the hard parts of the Christian message, the uncomfortable parts of the Christian message, and instead simply get along. And you can make a form of Christianity that's safe, palatable. But the problem is, at some point, it stops being Christian. Instead, the Christians in Sardis need to wake up quickly, pay attention to their ways, and immediately course correct. They need to cling to the gospel they heard and received. They need to repent. They need to turn back from their lifestyle of neglecting their witness. There's a warning. Jesus is coming, and his coming will be like a thief in the night. It's a metaphor Jesus used himself during his earthly ministry. In Matthew 24, he describes his coming as like a thief that a homeowner is unprepared for. The result, of course, is that the thief causes great harm to the owner. Jesus' coming is judgment for the unrepentant. Now, generally, when the Bible speaks of Jesus' coming, it's, it's either the blessed hope for his people, Christians, or the dangerous judgment against those who reject him. The fact that Jesus warns a church, an assembly of Christians, that he may come against them in judgment is scandalous. It means that they are in danger of being shown to be no real Christians at all. A Christian church that isn't in any way Christian. The church may be dying, but there are some in Sardis who have maintained their faithful witness to Jesus. And for those like them, there is the promise that they will walk in white garments, washed clean forever, and welcomed into the kingdom of King Jesus. They will have their names permanently etched into the book of life. An eternity of joy and peace with God are theirs. Jesus will personally vouch for them before the Father and before all the host of heaven. You know, it's like that trope on television when everyone's trying to get into that exclusive club and the bouncer isn't letting them in because they don't have the right look or, or whatever it is. Jesus is going to dress us. He's going to put our names on the bouncer's list and then personally stop by to vouch for us. We're getting in. If, that is, if we are not afraid to testify to the scandalous gospel of King Jesus in the midst of a world of opposition. May that be you and me. Until next time.